Sideways, an urban fantasy series written and narrated by Andy Havens. You're listening to book one, Awake. This and the second book, Aware, are available on Amazon as print and ebooks. You can get the Amazon links, learn more about the series, read the development blog, create fan fiction, and read the first book for free at thesideways.com. That's T-H-E-S-I-D-E-W-A-Y-S.com. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the books in any form, I'd really appreciate a share on Facebook or Twitter, or LinkedIn, I suppose, or Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, Pinterest, Flickr. Chapter 3, Part 2. What time is it back in the library? Does it matter? Was I imagining that? Where did this book come from? And and the inscription, the only thing I've ever seen with the word dad on it. Her head spun and she reached out for her medication. The bottled water was there on her dresser now too. She'd have to let go of the book in order to open the bottle. What is real? She asked out loud, not expecting an answer. Without any good reason, and not knowing why, she put down the pills and pulled the top of her shirt down again to expose the blue mark on her shoulder. Then she opened the book and read the inscription once more. It still meant nothing to her, but it seemed more important than anything she'd ever read before. Feeling somewhat foolish and expecting it to hurt like hell for some reason, she pressed the shining blue ink of her father's message onto the spot where the same color blue marred her skin. But there was no pain only a bright flare of electric blue light as if she were somehow inside a bolt of lightning. No sound, no smell, no sensation of moment, just a blinding blue explosion that forced her to close her eyes. When she opened them, she was curled up on the oriental rug of the library office. She felt stiff and cold, but otherwise unhurt. She sat up and stretched a bit and realized that she wasn't in pain, The overwhelming barrage of images that had threatened to drown her before was somehow being held back. She could sense them all around her, like a lake on the other side of a dam. She was also vaguely sure that she herself could release the flood if only she understood how to use the key. She heard the faintest whisperings at the edge of her awareness, as if she were on one side of a door and a crowd of people were talking very softly on the other. Kendra stood up and looked around the room. It was, as she remembered, a vaguely cluttered, bookish office, in no way remarkable, except for the fact that she just had one of the weirdest mind trips of her life while passed out in it. She bent over and picked up her backpack from off the floor. I am really going to have to start taking my meds all nice and regular-like, she thought. Imaginary friends are one thing, but today's freakout? Too weird. She shook her head and even chuckled a bit to herself. It had been a long day, even if all the strangest stuff had been made up. Time to get something substantial to eat. Crazy or not, she was hungry. As she walked to the door, her foot hit something. It was a book, 
lying face down on the oriental carpet. She bent over to pick it up. The magician's nephew, she read the title out loud. She didn't want to look inside the front cover to see if there was an inscription. She also didn't want to pull down the top of her shirt and see if there was a blue, irregular, blotchy mark on her skin. She dropped the book back on the rug and headed for the door. This is all crap. I'm going to go right to Dr. Leone. I'm going to... But when she tried to put her hand on the doorknob, it instead struck a solid wall. She looked down. It looked like a door. It looked like a doorknob. It really, really, really looked like a door on a doorknob. But it was only two-dimensional. Trompe-lay, they call it an art class, she thought to herself. Art that's so real it fools the eye. Even knowing it wasn't real, her eye was fooled. She tried to touch the doorknob again. Nope. It was a solid wall. Felt like stone or drywall, maybe. She turned to her left and looked at the wall with the desk and the stuffed crow. Now a bit panicked, she took two steps towards it and reached out to touch the crow. Smack! Her hand whacked into another plain, flat surface long before her brain said there should be anything there. Truly frightened now, she began to race around the room, feeling the wall as she went. Nothing there. Nothing. It looked just like it did when she'd woken up. When she'd been there before with the old guy, the couch was still real. She climbed on it, and she felt the wall behind it, a wall that looked like it should have been a shelf full of books. And so was the floor lamp and the light socket and the hole for the fireplace. But everything else was simply a brilliant fake. Kendra made two circuits of the room just to be sure. Nope. No door. No window. No desk. No desk chair. No mantle, no coat rack, no knickknacks, no papers, no nothing. It was like being inside a 360-degree photograph. She leaned back against where the door should have been and tried to think. How did the old guy get out? He used the door. I saw him use the door. Just like everybody else uses a door. No big deal. He'll be back soon. He can let me out. I'll just wait for... If you are still inside my institution, when the sun rises, you will die. Such a formal way to put it. So cold. She looked at her watch. It was 4.37 a.m. She'd been asleep or hallucinating or whatever for about four hours. She didn't know exactly what time sunrise was, but it wasn't real late. It was summer, maybe 5.30, maybe 6. Not a whole lot later than that, for sure. One hour. Maybe a bit more, she whispered out loud. The soft, murmuring voices that bled from the edges of perception seemed to echo her own. She thought she heard them whispering the word, maybe, 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 over and over again. I should be afraid, Kendra thought. That was all she could think, that she should be afraid. But what she was, instead, was angry. Angry at the librarian guy for leaving her in this room. Angry at the green man and the gargoyle dog for bringing her here. Angry at the Skywoman for getting in the blue junk on her. Angry at Mr. Vernon for giving her the job in the first place. Angry at her mom and Dr. Leone for either making her take her medicine or letting her get away with skipping it. I don't even know how much of this crap is real. Like, where am I now? At home in bed? In the topiary garden? Lying in the grass? In a hospital somewhere? Kendra turned a full circle, looking around the office. Everything still appeared to be fully formed, fully real, as if she could reach out and pull a book off the bookcase or touch the crow. As soon as she thought of the crow, she heard a small voice in a vaguely European accent in the back of her mind say, Fireplace. The fireplace. When she traversed the room before, feeling the flatness of the illusory furniture and walls, the fireplace had been there. She hadn't noticed it because, well, 
because it had been normal. It was a pretty big fireplace, and so she didn't have to crawl to get under the mantle, just ducked down a bit. She went to grab the mantle with one hand for balance, only to be reminded that it wasn't real, just painted on. She leaned on the wall instead and peered up into the chimney. There was no damper or flue, just a straight column of bricks going up into the darkness. Enough light wandered in from the office for her to see that the bricking was irregular, not particularly smooth or even. "'Good for climbing,' the European voice whispered in the back of her mind. She ducked back in, grabbed her backpack off the floor, and headed back toward the fireplace, stooped, turned, and looked down at the books she'd left on the carpet, the magician's nephew. After about three seconds of consideration, she picked up the book and stowed it in the main compartment of the pack. Before going back into the fireplace, she reached in and clicked one of the three carabiners off the inside loop of the backpack where she kept them. Then she made the waist strap of the backpack as long as possible and used the carabiner to clip the strap to one of her belt loops. Satisfied that it was attached firmly and that her pants wouldn't slide down because of the extra weight, she ducked back into the fireplace. She'd only been rock climbing twice since that summer camp experience two years before, both times she'd been with full-on adult supervision, belaying teams, the whole safety-first gig. Kendra peered up into the dark, vertical tunnel above her and wished for a flashlight. She couldn't even see light at the top. Is there a cap on top of this sucker? Or a grating? Maybe it's still just dark out. Maybe. 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 She heard the whispered word again, climbing into the fireplace like spiders from the office beyond. Maybe. Right. Well, ready or not, she began to climb. It was easier in many ways than the climbing wall at the sports complex she'd been to most recently. First of all, there were bricks to grip on all four walls, which she could reach easily. Also, she could lean on one side while searching for a good hold on the other walls. So, technically, it wasn't anywhere near as hard a climb. But of course there were no adults above or below her, and no belaying line, with three kids attached to it down below shouting, Belay on! when you were safe to climb. And the walls of the chimney were slippery with ash residue, and it was dark. Kendra climbed for what seemed like a very long time to her. After a while she chanced to look down, which she knew is often a bad idea when rock climbing. She couldn't see the bottom of the chimney. No light at all. She was either up too high or too little light got in from the office. She looked up again, still nothing from above. She kept climbing. Her shoulders were the first parts to feel the ache, her legs and feet were in good shape from all the walking and stair climbing she did, and her fingers had been calloused from the work in the gardens. But for whatever reason, climbing a chimney was really making her shoulders hurt. She tried to do more of the work with her legs, but her brain kept telling her that she needed to press back with her shoulders too. Then her calves started to feel it, the burning sensation that means you should rest. She tried to press herself into a more comfortable position, but when her calves got a break, it only made her shoulders hurt more. She decided to simply press on, since stopping wasn't helping much. The darkness was getting to her, too, climbing by feel alone in an enclosed, smoky-smelling, gritty tunnel, no sounds but her own breathing, the scrape of her fingers and sneakers and knees on the brick the occasional bump of her backpack thudding against the wall below, the sound of her breathing getting louder and hoarser. It occurred to her at one point that she did not have enough strength to climb back down. She had passed some point of no return. It was either climb up and out or fall. 
How tall can this chimney be, she thought. I should have been counting bricks or something. But she knew that wouldn't help. It would have maybe staved off her fear in an obsessive, compulsive way. But knowing how far you've come doesn't matter when you don't know how far you need to go. Bump. Finally. Her head smacked into something above her. The pain was nothing compared to the joy she felt that the climb was over. She groped upwards with one hand and found what seemed to be a wooden board. After exploring around its edge, she found a handle of some kind and pushed it. It moved a bit, but she didn't have the right angle to shove it more than a couple inches. She rotated carefully around the chimney, her arms and legs very sore, until she was directly under the handle, and it also moved up a little closer to it. This time she pushed as hard as she could, and the door above her swung all the way open and didn't come back down. Gentle gray light poured down on her, making her squint and blink. Not able to see anything yet, eyes still watering and adjusting to the change, Kendra pulled herself out of the chimney. She collapsed on her side, backpack still hanging down into the chimney. She lay there, grateful to do so, breathing heavily and stretching her arms and legs slightly to try to get the soreness out of them. Finally, the pain receded to a dull ache, and she sat up, pulled her backpack out of the chimney hole beside her, and took a look around. Kendra was not on a roof, which is where she had assumed she'd end up. It appeared to her as if she was in the middle of a forest meadow at night. The soft light that had seemed so bright to her at first was coming from a sea of stars undiminished by city lights and by a sickle moon hovering near the horizon. She looked down at the chimney opening. It was indeed a brick-lined hole, but it was a hole in the middle of a grassy bit of ground. She could see the wooden door that she'd opened laying in the grass. She stood up and walked around the hole, stretching out her legs and rotating her shoulders in their sockets, turning her head and neck, too, to try and relieve some of the stiffness there. She did some stretching exercises, and when she was feeling okay about the state of her limbs, she knelt back down and looked over the edge of the hole into the chimney. Nothing. She could see the first two dozen or so rows of bricks, but that was about it. After that, darkness. Am I really here? she thought. I wasn't actually at home when I thought I was, or was I? Instantly, she was angry again. The climb had sure felt real. Her arms and legs and fingers still hurt. She had grit and soot all over her everything. She absent-mindedly started dusting herself off as she got madder and madder. I'm not closer to anything than I was before. I'm just lost in a different picture. At least Alice had a Cheshire cat and a rabbit and a caterpillar. All I get is some enigmatic old librarian making threats. Thinking about books reminded her about the one in her backpack. She pulled it out and looked at the inside front cover again. The inscription still glowed blue. She pulled the neck of her shirt down and looked for the marking on her collarbone. Still there, too. If you can't beat the weirdness, join it, she thought, and pressed the ink of the inscription to the mark on her skin, at the same time hollering as loudly as she could, I could really use a hand in here! There was a brief flash of pain, like a headache you get when you drink your milkshake too fast. Then she felt a faint breeze blow past her, but couldn't tell if it had anything to do with the book or her blue mark as she was coming to think of it. It seemed as if nothing had changed. She turned around to look back at the chimney hole again, and standing between her and it was a short, bearded man wearing a sleek fur coat. Kendra was so surprised that she took a stumbling step backwards, tripped on her backpack, and sat down hard on the grassy ground. The man smiled a bit, looking half amused, half tolerant, and leaned down to offer her a hand up. 
Without thinking, she took it. He didn't just help her to her feet, he hauled her up entirely. He was much stronger than he looked. She almost felt as if she were levitating, he pulled so hard, and she swore her feet left the ground for a second. But he didn't jar or yank at her joints, not a tug, just a strong, sustained pull, like an elevator. When she'd regained her balance, she took a step back and looked at the man a bit more closely. He really was quite short. Kendra was only about five foot two, and he couldn't have been a couple inches taller than her, if that. His coat was made from patches of many types of fur, different colors, thicknesses, and sizes. It looked almost planned, like a quilt, but not quite. There was a specific randomness to it, like stained glass, some sort of pattern that Kendra couldn't quite pick up. The coat concealed him from neck to mid-calf, where his feet were covered by black cloth boots. The only parts of his skin that were visible were his hands, which were small and dainty, almost like a girl's, and his face where it showed through his neatly trimmed beard. He was still smiling at her, and she took that as a first good omen of the day. Girl, he said in a smooth, soft voice, when you call for help, you don't do it halfway, do you? He seemed genuinely pleased, not mad, so Kendra grinned back up at him and shook her head. He stuck his hand back out at her, clearly meaning for her to shake, so she did and noticed that his hand, though small, was very strong and hard. She'd expected it to be smooth and soft. "'Bran Alex, Missy. Call me Bran,' he said, releasing her hand and turning to look around. "'All right, where are we, then, that you need help getting out of?' he continued. He bent down on one knee to peer into the chimney hole as he spoke, and then stood back up, looking at the trees, the sky, the moon, all around, as if taking measure of the place. "'I have no idea,' said Kendra. "'And my name is Kendra, by the way.' He turned back to face her again. Of course it is. You couldn't have very well called someone in who didn't know you, could you? Curiouser and curiouser, thought Kendra. Out loud she said, I really have no idea what you're talking about. Now it was Bran's turn to look puzzled. His narrow red-brown eyebrows came down on the middle and his mouth was paralleled by his neat mustache as he scowled. What do you mean by that, girl? What don't you know? When I asked for help, I didn't know what would happen, she replied, not in the least. That seemed to surprise him. You called me all the way from San Francisco, out into this other where, without knowing what you were doing. His eyebrows went up so high they became lost behind long, straight bangs that fell forward over his forehead. I guess, Kendra replied, but since I don't know what that means, I'll have to take your word for it. Bran nodded thoughtfully, putting his hands into the pockets of his fur coat. Well, wherever we are, you're in need of my variety of help, or I wouldn't have been pulled by your call, that's for sure. And being your uncle and all, I'm obliged to be of assistance, of course, so... What? She stepped toward him again, causing him to back up almost to the edge of the chimney hole. When she saw that, she put a hand out on his arm to warn him, pointing with the other hand at what he'd almost stepped into. He glanced back, made a yikes face, and quickly trotted a few steps away, pulling her with him. When they were a good ten yards from the hole, Kendra stopped and held on to his arm, keeping him from going any further. "'You're my uncle?' she asked, dubious and clearly showing it. "'Sure. Yeah,' he nodded as if it was obvious. "'Your mom's brother. Bran. Half-brother, anyway. Your mother never—' And then the realization came over his face, and he nodded, remembering something. "'No, she wouldn't. No, she—she wouldn't have mentioned me. Why not? That's crazy. Why wouldn't my mom mention having a brother? 
Bran held up his hand, surrendering. Long story, and I don't get involved in family stuff, he said. I came here to help you get out of a jam. At least why, that's what it felt like, the calling. You're stuck here, right? Somehow, you tell me what's up, and let Uncle Bran help you out. Then I'll scoot, and it's none of my business anyhow. All right? She nodded. Sure, I guess. Thanks? He nodded back. So, where are we? I have no idea. He shrugged. Now makes it a bit harder to escape, but not so much. Who put you here? Some librarian. I think he said his name was Monday? All the joviality and easy good humor left Bran's face. Suddenly he looked very, very serious, and more than a little angry. He reached out and grabbed her arm with that small, strong hand and pulled her with a jerk a bit closer to him. And just what in the name of the Seven Gates are you doing trapped in the way of a master? He leaned in even closer to her, bending his head to look directly into her eyes. Up close he seemed much older than she had initially thought. There were lines around his mouth and eyes that she hadn't seen before. I told you, she replied a bit hesitantly, I have no idea what's going on. The last time my day seemed any kind of normal was when I was working in one of Mr. Vernon's gardens. She proceeded to give him a very quick overview of what had happened since then, the Sky Woman and the fight with the Green Man and the Gargoyle. She showed him the blue mark on her shoulder. She described waking up in the library and Mr. Monday's challenge. When she got to that point, Bran interrupted, grabbing her arm a little too hard for her comfort. He put a hard limit on it. If you're not out of his way by dawn, you'll die. And you dragged me in here! He closed his eyes for a moment and took a deep breath. Do you know what that means, girl? She shook her head. I can't leave without you. And if I'm still here when the walls come down... Your death will take me, too. He looked angry and scared both. His face had gone a little red and he was trembling slightly. For a moment she thought he might hit her, but he took a deep breath and managed to calm down a bit. All right, he finally said, letting go of her arm and pushing his hair back out of his eyes. How much time have we got? Give me a moment. He stepped back away from her, closed his eyes, and murmured something under his breath. There was a sound like paper ripping, and to Kendra it seemed as if a small section of the sky above Bran's head opened like a window in the background of night, letting in a quick burst of radiance. Bran shook his head, inhaled sharply like a hiss, and said, We've only got about twenty minutes left. He looked around wildly as if searching for something. What's down there? he asked, pointing at the hole in the ground. Monday's office, Kendra replied. It had a fireplace. I climbed out of it and got to here. He nodded. Good girl, this is already further from the center of his way. Now we just have to find the exit. Right, yeah, find the exit. She still had no idea what he was talking about, but at least he had a plan. Without another word, Bran got down on the ground and pulled up a handful of grass. He went over to the chimney hole and dropped the green blades over the opening and watched them fall slowly towards the opening in the ground. A few of them blew sideways, but most of them wafted up, carried down an air current. Some seemed to float more to one side than the other of the hole. This way, he said, taking her arm and pulling her along in the direction that the grass had indicated. Wait, she called, my backpack. She pulled out of his grip and ran back for her pack, slinging it over one shoulder. She also picked the book up off the ground and tucked it inside as she trotted back to Bran, who was waiting for her with unconcealed impatience. He clearly believed in the direction he'd chosen, and Kendra had no idea what to do, so she followed him. He wasn't running so much as jogging, but she had to nearly run to keep up. The terrain they were passing through was generally even ground, lightly forested with white birch and some kind of bushes that Kendra couldn't identify. 
There wasn't any ground vegetation to speak of, and so running, even in the near darkness, wasn't too difficult. After about five minutes, they came to the edge of the forest and stepped out into an open, plain-like area that seemed to stretch for miles in the distance. Bran looked left and right, but there was nothing to be seen, just the forest they'd come through. I'm sure we're further from the center here, he said, more to himself than to her. Kendra said nothing. This whole day, from the Skywoman on, is probably a hallucination brought on by low blood sugar and being off my meds, she thought. What? Bran turned quickly to look down at her. What did you say? Had she said that out loud? She hadn't meant to. Uh, nothing? Sorry. No, really, it's important. Are you unaware of where you are? You really have no idea how you got here, who put you here, who called you here, how they called you here, me, any of it. She was back to being mad again. Damn it! No! I have no idea about any of this. For all I know, you're a figment of my imagination. I could still be passed out on my back in the garden, or in a hospital bed in the loony ward. I'm sorry, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but that's just how weird all of this is to me. Kendra thought he'd be angry. Instead, he looked even more scared. Calm, but scared. Bran put one hand on each of her shoulders and addressed her in a calm, even, gentle tone. If you don't believe this is happening to you, we can't escape. Every path will lead to a new path, every door to a new room, every gate to a new wall. Kendra sighed. How can I believe in this stuff? I've been on meds to make things like this go away since I was a little kid. Imaginary friends, invisible voices, stairways to secret houses in the air, all of it. When I take the drugs, no, this. She waved her hand at the scene surrounding them. Bran nodded sympathetically. He even looked a bit sad. Let me ask you something, he said. When you sleep, does the world go away? Of course not, she said. Right, he agreed. The drugs they make you take are like sleep. They make part of your mind still and quiet. But just because you don't see the friends or hear the voices doesn't mean they are not there. He stood up and pointed. Just because that horizon is not the one that your mother will see when she wakes up doesn't mean it isn't real. Kendra shook her head. I don't understand. You will, he replied. You're a reckoner now. I assumed from the way you summoned me that you'd always been one. I forgot, though. You were raised by your mother, not in a domain. Of course I was raised by my mother. Why wouldn't I have been? Never mind. Not important now. But you've made some kind of transition. Mostly mundanes who are exposed to the ways go mad. Kendra thought back to what had happened when Mr. Monday had left her alone in his office. To the flood of sights, sounds, memories, and pain that had washed over her. That had been very close to madness. She understood what Bran meant. She stood there at the edge of a forest in a land that didn't exist, as far as she understood it, on the planet Earth. Where did it exist, then? She had no idea. Inside the librarian's office? In his mind? In a magic ball? Kendra. Bran was shaking her shoulder gently. She must have been zoning out a bit. Yeah? Uh, what? We only have about ten minutes left. She nodded, still thinking about belief and madness, about her imaginary childhood friends, and how maybe... They were still out there? Were they older now, too? They'd have to be, if what Bran said was true. What did you call Mr. Monday? She asked Bran, following a trail in her mind that seemed to maybe lead somewhere. A master, he replied. In the mundane world, he's known as Solomon Monday. He's the master of the domain of sight. 
Kendra smiled a bit, thinking of the old man in his gray suit and black shirt and tie. Out of sight? Out of mind? What? Kendra, Bran said, pulling at her arm again. We have to get moving, somewhere. We've only got a few minutes until dawn. He seemed very agitated. Out of mind? Out of sight? She was talking to herself again, but this time she knew it. He was about to say something, but she stopped him by holding up a hand. Bran? Uncle Bran? What is your domain? What do you do? He looked puzzled. The house of release, of course. Why else would I have come when you called for help to get out of a trap? He keeps forgetting that I know nothing, Kendra thought. So, she asked, what can you do? He still looked confused. I can get out of many enclosed spaces, he replied. Most mundane locks will yield to my touch. Most doors will open at my command. I am a master of knots, their tying and untying. Once I know a place, I can always find my way back. Things like that. Are you the master of release? she asked. Oh, no, he laughed. Just a reckoner. More apt than some, less than others. But then he remembered where he was and the time. Kendra knew from the look on his face what he was thinking of. Dawn. It would be only a minute or two away now. He was afraid, but not angry. He simply looked sad maybe a little tired. Kendra looked up at the moon. It seemed like her moon. The stars were the same in the air, and the ground and her aching muscles and the strap of her backpack on her shoulder and the faint musty smell of her dirty hair. And suddenly she realized that she believed it all. The fight, the blue mark, the inscription, the library, this place, all of it. The years inside the drugs embrace had been the lie. All of this simply felt more true. It rang in her head like an alarm clock going off, as if, like Bran had said, she'd been asleep. It was like being washed in clean, cold water, after years of being covered in a fine film of dust and cobwebs. She gasped, a little afraid of how much more unafraid she was than ever before. She took one of Bran's hands in both of hers and said, Uncle Bran, I don't understand what's going on, I don't know how I got here, but I don't question it any more. I believe in this place, and you. I really do. He nodded and smiled a bit, and patted her two hands with his free one. That's a good girl, he said. Let's walk while we wait. He stood up, and they headed out away from the forest towards the horizon. She'd hoped that her belief would shatter the sky and open a doorway for them to escape through. She thought that maybe somehow it would be the only key they'd need, her simple faith, like the prince's kiss, or sunlight on a vampire, or something. On the wind came the whispered voice she'd heard before, maybe, maybe, maybe. The words seemed to float down from the gray clouds above. She turned and looked back towards the forest. What is it, girl? Bran asked. She thought about the office and the trompe walls, and about the climb up the impossibly long chimney, and Bran coming at her call, and the grass that had wafted up and away from the chimney hole, not just away to one side, but up, up, which was also away. Put me on your shoulders, she said suddenly. What? Do it, just do it. He shrugged and reached down to pick her up around the waist, slinging her easily up to sit on his shoulders. She reached up as high as she could. Nothing. Hold on to my ankles. I'm going to stand on you, she said. What choice did he have? All right, go ahead, he called up. One knee, two knees, one foot, two feet, 
first squatting, then balancing with a hand in his soft hair, she stood up slowly and bumped her head on the sky. <laughs>